Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. Rabbi. You could see why Yaakov would be unsure as to whether or not he actually is the one. He was, after all, born second. He is not the firstborn. And he sees that his father, Yitzchak, who is the one of his generation and whose blessing will determine who is the one of the next generation, he sees that Yitzchak, their father, loves Esav. And so, as dismaying as it is, it is not a surprise that Yitzchak calls his eldest son Esav and tells him to prepare food for Yitzchak so that Yitzchak can bless him. And though, as we know, Yaakov, under the auspices of his mother Rivka, dresses in Esav's clothes and delivers food that is more or less as Esav would have prepared it, and goes in to see his blind father, and he ducks and dodges and stretches the truth to the point where his father gives him, Yaakov, the blessing that Yitzchak thought he was giving to Esav. So yes, Yaakov did, in fact, receive the blessing. Yitzchak apparently laid his hands upon him and said the words of blessing that would give Yaakov dominance over his brother and would also make him the one and give him the inheritance of the land of Israel. Even though that is all true, you could certainly understand why Yaakov would not have felt confident that this was real enough and substantial enough. After all, he had basically received the blessing in disguise through deception. To make matters worse, he is sent away by his father and his mother for fear of his life. He is told to go live by Rivka, his mother's brother, Laban, his uncle, until Esau's wrath passes at having been deceived and at having had those blessings stolen from under his very hands by his wily brother. Even worse than that, according to the Midrash, as he leaves his father's house and heads towards his uncle's house, he is robbed and left with nothing. This anxiety seems to pervade and underpine Yaakov's story even after this magnificent dream in which God appears to him and tells him and guarantees to him that God will in fact be with him and protect him. But we find just a little while later, Yaakov has been deceived by Lavan, his father-in-law, when Lavan switched Rachel and Leah so that Yaakov would have to marry Leah and only then was allowed to marry Rachel. We see this as Yaakov's ability to establish himself, to establish wealth and a home and stability is continually undermined by 
Lavan, his father-in-law, who always seems to be a step ahead of Yaakov and always seems to have another way to trick, to change the terms, to reinterpret. So you could see that Yaakov's life never quite confirms or seems to confirm that he is the one, that he has, in fact, fully and properly, in the eyes of God and man, taken his position as the third in the line. Even as he becomes quite wealthy, shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law, we see that he never fully believes that it is his. And it's absolutely essential to consider here the role of Lavan, his father-in-law, in destabilizing Yaakov and in perpetuating and supporting that sense of doubt. Even at the very end, when Yaakov has run away with his family and Lavan has caught up to him and they have an essential encounter, even after Yaakov has begun to emerge with the kind of force and clarity that he will need in order to take back control of his own life from his father-in-law and to establish that stability that he needs or that he thinks he needs. Even then, Lavan says, the daughters are my daughters and the sons are my sons and the sheep are my sheep and everything that you see belongs to me. Let us appreciate the power that some people can have over us to keep us on the first mountain by keeping us unstable, by keeping us in a sense of doubt, by identifying in us what we think of as success or achievement and that person can constantly pull that away from us, giving us a sense that we have not reached it. This already can serve as a clue that what it is that we are trying to achieve or accomplish, that this person, this Lavan, can so easily keep away from us, maybe that is only the first mountain. Maybe they are signaling to us that there's something deeper, something more stable, something that can withstand and survive through the different phases of what it feels like and the experience we have when the thing we want so bad is not there. That, in a way, will be the character of the second mountain when we can find a well-being that does not depend on having any one thing and does not depend on our lives looking in one specific way. But we know that Yaakov is not quite there yet. He is still susceptible to the aggressions and the intimations that Lavan is so willing and able to throw at him.
even though he has made some progress by being able at least to stand up to Lavan, he's still not there. He's still living, as it were, on the first mountain. Interestingly enough, Lavan, Yaakov's father-in-law, is considered in the Zohar and in books of Kabbalah as being a very high, very supernal, mystical manifestation of the divine. He is called the Lovain Ha'elyon. Lovain from the word Lavan, which means white. This supernal whiteness, which sounds like an awful Aryan racial agenda, but in Kabbalah means the place where everything is clear. Here, Lavan is continually leading and pushing and prodding Yaakov, his nephew, towards the level of realization that Yaakov will need in order to move to the second mountain. And as long as he is not yet there, as long as Yaakov has not yet realized that, it feels like pure antagonism. It feels like a constant attack. Only later, perhaps, Yaakov could look back on that time that he had with Lavan and be grateful for that time because it ultimately pushed him to the level that he had to reach. But he is not there yet. The Ishbitzer Rebbe, in his book, Mehashiloach, has a beautiful lesson in which he says that when Yaakov left his parents' home in Be'er Sheva, he didn't even have bread to eat. He had nothing. And he was required to go to Lavan, his uncle, and not only to go there, but to be involved with cattle and with shepherding in order to be provided for. This would come in great contrast to at least his father, Yitzchak. We read that Yitzchak had miraculous providence. He would throw a few seeds on the ground that would come back a hundredfold what would have been expected to be yielded from those few seeds. But with Yaakov, we find the opposite. He has to work night and day in order to provide for his family. And because of this, says the Ishbitzer, after Yaakov looked at himself and he saw himself as very small compared to his father and to his grandfather, they did not need to concern themselves with matters of this world at all. And they were always involved with very lofty devotions towards God. They were involved with Ma'ase Merkava, with chariot work, which is a very high mystical work. And he, Yaakov, was required to be involved with small things like this. And so you could see that Yaakov would become demoralized. He could become demoralized. He could conclude that he is not the one and that he did steal the blessings and he was never meant to have them. And it was always meant to go to Esau and he's a liar and he's a fraud. And the proof of that is that here he is shoveling sheep poop. As the Midrash says, I used to dream of ladders and God. Now I'm dreaming about sheep. But somehow, and here, Yaakov's transition, which allows him to begin climbing the second mountain, says the Ishbitzer, yes, 
even though they were involved in great things, and I see that I'm involved in small things, still yet, there are also ways to serve God through these small things, because God, after all, is Yotzer HaKol. God has made everything, and therefore, there are ways to serve God through everything. With this, Yaakov begins a journey of discovering and accepting that there are ways to serve God in the big things, in the chariot, and there are ways to serve God with sheep. He can let go of the old image that he had in his mind based upon observing his father and his grandfather of what it would mean to be the one. He can let go of that illusion that the one wouldn't have any problems or challenges in this world. And he can stop seeing these difficulties that he faces as somehow detours from the path of the one in the world. And he can start seeing them as the path of the one in this world.